Hey, welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. My guest today has a very long list of accomplishments, starting with being the developer of the Regenetics Method, a revolutionary approach to healing, utilizing unique linguistic codes, sound, and light to potentiate your DNA. He is also an award-winning writer, an artist, and an author of both fiction and nonfiction, including what we will talk about at length today, from two of his best-selling books, Conscious Healing and Potentiate Your DNA. And I might mention he has dropped his latest novel, Kali the Destroyer, as well, which is nothing short of a feat. So he wastes no time on this planet, lifting and serving humanity. And I'm so honored to have you, Sol Luckman. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. It's It's an honor. Thank you. There's so much I want to ask you, and um, let's just jump right in. And I'm sure you've talked about this many times, but just so, uh, again, our listeners have a context of where you started, how this information came about, and uh, a jumping off point. Can we begin with what was the kicker that instigated this whole healing journey this, um, that ultimately led to this groundbreaking discovery? So we're talking about regenetics. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I got I got sick. I, uh, I I've written about this in my books, and you're probably aware of the the basic storyline. But I had uh, I had a couple of different uh, let's call them jack scenes for censorship purposes right. before going to uh, to South America for dissertation research when I was in graduate school. And within about six months, I got very very ill in an autoimmune kind of way, and we could debate autoimmunity. But anyway, uh, a lot of people will, will know what that sort of means uh, when when uh, the environment and your foods and everything turn on you. <laughs> sure. So uh, that happened to me. And then I, I went on a, a real wanderer, uh, just a journey trying to, to get well to stop my physical deterioration. And I went from being extremely athletic to, to, uh, to really sickly quite quickly and that was a good rhyme and uh, I I tried many things and a lot of money I, a lot of people have said oh your story is my story I've, I've tried uh, everything it seems and I really did feel that way myself and it was at the end of this long tunnel that I, I began with a lot of fortuitous contacts serendipities downloads you name it putting together the concepts that ended up becoming regenetics starting with the first activation in a series of activations that's called potentiation and that was the energetic intervention in my life that began my healing process Mm -hmm. well to your point you talk about jack scenes in your book and i think it's worth mentioning and i can certainly say your story is my story as well, because I healed myself from a debilitating uh, autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's, for 20 years. Yeah. And my um, 
doctors, my naturopathic doctors, my chiropractors, all of them across the board are all convinced it's from Jackson's. And uh, in your book, you talk about how Dr. Leonard Horowitz's work, he found how these um, ingredients, we'll say, are a primary cause of a variety of autoimmune diseases and how specific frequencies can restore the genetic integrity um, of the cell or of our DNA. Can you talk about that? Because there's, what, 30 million Americans that have autoimmune disease and it's getting worse and worse. So. Well, sure. Uh, you know, we have these new, uh, these new vaccines, the, the ones that work through the RNA. Mm-hmm. And it's claimed that they don't alter DNA, and that's patently wrong. And it's and it's actually described in the literature from some of these companies how it how that functions, and how it actually is installing an operating system into your DNA, which by definition is altering your DNA, right, and turning your immune system into a, a very different creature in the process. The, the point I've often tried to impress on people when having this type of conversation is that they've been doing this kind of thing for decades. Right. They're just admitting what they've been doing for a long time now. They've had technology in these vaccines to alter DNA through insertion of foreign DNA into your DNA for a very long time. And my contention is that that is what alters your DNA, it turns it from a repair mechanism, Mm -hmm. which is its normal function to build proteins and help your body maintain itself to a disrepair mechanism so that they literally are programming illness of an autoimmune nature into your DNA. And then you just replicate that program for the rest of your life. And that's why you can't get well. So what I, what I, realized very early on was that unless I could do something to the DNA, I would always just be dealing with symptoms. Mm-hmm. Not really addressing the root of the problem. What do you say to someone who's listening to this and they say, okay, well, well maybe they're not dysregulating your DNA. Maybe they're upgrading your DNA. Maybe they're getting, you know, you're getting, you're trading in a Toyota for a Ferrari. What do you say to that? Well, I'll share a story that I, I heard from a podcaster I follow. And I've heard stories very similar to this. So uh, this is not a one-off. Uh, a Maori, uh, I suppose she was something of a shaman. One of her best friends went and got the after saying she wasn't going to get it. And she walked into the room with the friend and she knew immediately that her soul was just barely attached to her body. Mm. And I, I can assure you that's what's going on. That's a big piece of what's happening is they're literally, this is a transhuman exercise in destroying what it means to be human and turning us into half machines that they can control through frequencies. Mm. That is a subject in my new novel, by the way, is the, the use of vaccines and microchips to c- control the human population quite directly from an external source. Wow. Well, also, we know, and this is a fact, and of course, you know this, and if 
anyone listening to this doesn't know this, you can look it up. Um, we know that our cells emit sound as well as light. And not only do our cells radiate light, but they also make music. So anything we're putting into our bodies has a frequency or a music to it. Would you agree? Oh, you're right. Just uh, anyone out there listening, just go look up the phrase DNA music. You'll be amazed. Right. Well, let's talk about your regenics, uh, regenetics method, which to me is groundbreaking. And I had a personal experience through it, which is why you're on my show. And it really helped me. And, um, and I know it's helped a lot of other people that I know in my circle. And um, let's go into how that works and the, the codes or these unique linguistic codes that you discovered and through your spiritual experience. Um, and I might add that, you know, there's this common through line, I think, with a lot of people like yourself, Soul, that come into this information or this download, that there is usually, before a spiritual awakening, there's a crisis. And you had a crisis. I had a crisis. And thus, it, it for lack of a better word, it forces us or it ushers us into this seeking state because it's just, that's just the way it is we have to find a better way. So in that well, it begs the question, is that what's happening on a cultural level right now? Right. Right. I think we have choice. I think the only thing we really have is free choice, not even free will. So what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to raise your frequency and learn the power that lies within you, just like the ancient Egyptians and all these sacred texts talk about or are you going to seek outside yourself for answers? Yeah, that's the question, really. Yeah. Yes, and certainly seeking outside yourself is breaking outside the box of how we've been indoctrinated for so long. So that's a difficult pill to swallow for a lot of people, pun intended. Right. Can you share how you discovered this, what your spiritual, if you will, experience was when this download came in? And you discovered this um, this information. I can talk about that in a in a general sense. It was so many experiences that there was there's no way to actually share that in a, in a succinct manner. There okay. there were many different spiritual experiences, spiritual sharings. Like I said, serendipities, very uh, impossible events that transpired to lead me on this path, uh, along with my partner, Lee, who was integral in, in bringing this work through. So we were, we co-developed the work. One of the, the major realizations uh, that was shared with me early on when I was already working with sound was the power of vowels and the idea that they had a very distinct relationship with DNA and that the, the, the vowels were the, the vowels, let's say the five vowels in English is a, would represent sort of a distillation of the vowels in the world. English is a modern language and it's taken out many of the subtleties of the older languages, which had many more vowels typically. But through that distillation, it's really curious that we end up with five vowels and there are five nucleotide bases of DNA and RNA. 
That's and fair. sure enough, those five vowels pair up with those bases. And so when you begin singing, uh, playing around with these vowels, you're actually speaking to your DNA in some fashion. Wild. <laughs> very, very wild. And and um, the other piece of it was that we, we were, uh, Lee and I were aware that there were two primary uh, types of energy that we had been working with, exploring, and that needed somehow to go together in the work that we were being led to develop. And that was sound and light, as you, as you mentioned earlier. And we realized that you could actually combine those by singing the vowels in a certain way mm. while thinking another set of vowels. And that is the combination of sound and light. So you have the sound coming out of your mouth and the light in your mind as you're visualizing these vowels. Mm. Yeah, and I love how you mentioned in your book, which I think is a really important um, criteria to this, where you're talking about the importance of these vowels. The ancients, like even in the Hebrew language, like you talk about, they you won't find that written anywhere in the sacred texts. They don't have a name. They don't have a written name for God. It's like in shorthand. <laughs> you don't right, right. see Elohim. They might say it, but it's you won't find it written anywhere because they knew, like you said, it was too sacred to, it's too important to mess with. <laughs> so um, that must lead you to believe, well, wait a minute, there's something here. And um, interestingly enough, you mentioned in the Catholic Church how they knew about this and it was somehow, was it taken out of or hidden from us, would you say? That wasn't the vowels so much as the what's been called the solfeggio scale. Right, okay. Leonard Horowitz and a co-author of his, Joseph Puglio, put out a book and uh, the in the 1990s called healing codes for the biological apocalypse. And it goes into a lot of this Jacksonation information we were discussing, but also this idea that the, the scale that had been rediscovered by Joseph Puglio was the ancient sacred creational scale. And that, that the liturgies in the Catholic church, for example, a very long time ago used to be sung to this scale. Wow, that's but, but that it had been disappeared on purpose. Mm. And the modern scale is actually not even good for your DNA. There is a, if you go to my blog, it's a snooze to awaken, snooze, and then the number two awaken.com. There's a novel by a regenetics facilitator named Brendan Murphy, an author, a wonderful author. You should interview him. He's great. I mean, he's fantastic. He's Australian. And it's called the Nazification of Music. And wow. it's all about this planned destruction of our sonic scale uh, that we operate in musically. So it's like a dumbing down of the scale? Uh, well, more than a dumbing down, it's, it's actually made so that it's harmful to your resonance, mm. to your frequency. And yes, the effect, one of the effects would be dumbing down, but another effect would be making you ill or creating conflict. Right. You know, it's really interesting as you're talking about the solfeggio, um, solfeggio uh, 
sequence, my son, I have an 11 year old, he did a science experiment and his science experiment was on sound and light. And since I am a biofield tuner, um, one of my teachers is uh, the wonderful Eileen McCusick. So, you know, oh, I love Eileen. Yeah, she she's wonderful. She was actually my first guest on this podcast and broke the door wide open on this work. Um, so uh, I have a lot of forks in my home. And uh, <laughs> I have too, a lot, huh? yes, and I have a lot that my son can draw from. So uh, he pulled forks. He pulled, uh, we did a LED light system in his bedroom with different light frequencies. We did drums and we did different sounds like the sound of the ocean, the sound of the birds. And um, what was really fascinating, the result of his experiment was that the 144 frequency fork, which is the fork of that creation, the fork of, of the, the Sofagio, Sofagio sequence, was the winner out of everything combined with the sound of birds. Those got perfect tens across the board from every single subject three times in a row, which tells me. Well, well, my my son would describe that uh, that science experiment as fire. It's really fire. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. And as my son would say, as long as it's um, it's not cap, uh, mom, it's not cap. <laughs> yeah. but, um, oh, I feel old. Yeah, so he'll say it's on God, and I was like, "Does that mean like God has imprinted his like seal of approval?" And she's like, "Yeah, kind of, okay." So, on God, but I thought that's so fascinating because really, the more we separate ourselves from the very frequency or the tonal uh, landscape of nature, the sicker we get, the more separated we become. And his experiment as a, an eleven-year-old boy very simply just demonstrates that, <laughs> you know. Well, that's great. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. One of the one of the references I make in both of my books on regenetics is to the language of the birds. Right. And it's this idea that this ancient vowel language, which was not limited to one continent or one place, I'm sure, is probably spoken in many uh, so-called primitive cultures right. all over the world many, many years ago, before, certainly even before, I would I would argue, well before the you know, so-called birth of civilization and the fertile crescent and all that nonsense. Anyway, the the language of the birds was a vowel-only code, mm. and it's possible that it was sung to this uh, one or more notes in the solfeggio scale, which is you know what I what I assume to be correct based on Horowitz's work. Even though he doesn't address the language of the birds, he talks about it being the creational scale. So it would make sense that this sacred language for healing and transformation would be rooted in the sacred scale. That makes sense to me anyway. For sure. And uh, when I got around to writing Callie the Destroyer, I, I wanted to bring that into this to the story of Gnosticism, sort of the ancient shamanism and goddess religion. And I ended up writing this, this novel, which is largely about the language of the birds. It's one of the primary motifs in the entire book. Wow. It makes me think of Osiris and 
Toff, if I pronounce his word name. Yeah, yeah. And they talk about the birds all over the place, that if you chant well, the well, birds. Toth had, had, had his bird head. and That's right. Yeah, and then you have Ra, of course. Right, mm-hmm, with a vowel. <laughs> mm-hmm, yes, yes. I'm just thinking as a, uh, in my personal spiritual journey, when I receive initiations uh, in the mystery schools, they have names of these ancient um, vowel tones that you don't speak out loud because you don't want to waste, you don't want to leak the energy if, uh, that's so way to put it mm-hmm. um, because it is so sacred, but it's, it's a tone that you do inside and you don't share it. You don't speak it. Um, and, uh, and it lines up with a lot of these uh, tones or words or um, things that the ancient civilizations used to bring themselves into higher states of consciousness. So it's like not much has changed, but everything's changed. <laughs> well, I always say we're we're not discovering, we're rediscovering. Yes, we're yes, I agree a hundred percent. And I think that's a good segue because there's a place in your book, in the beginning of your book, when you're talking about healing and transformation in your regenetics book, you talk about the three eras of medicine, which I just think is so important because it displays where we've been and ultimately where we're going. And especially during this time of the Aquarian age, where we are moving into uh, frequency as a form uh, or a more commonplace approach to medicine. We're starting to see that. We're starting to see how um, frequencies are used by leading scientists to repair genetic defects, and we might want to get into that um, in a moment. But in your book, you talk about the three eras of medicine, the first one being era one, which is all about genetics, and we're just a slave to our genetic code or blueprint, the body. The second era being that of epigenetics, like the Bruce Lipton work, which we can talk about. But where we're moving to, or maybe where we're already at, is era three, which is metagenetics, which is even above the epi phenomenon or the approach um, to positive thinking per se and and right, right. And mind, right? It's beyond yes. mind. You cannot think or even mind your way to God. It's you meditate so that you can go into the mind and go beyond the mind. And right. can you so talk the three eras are really a progression from body to mind to spirit. Yes. And I I would love for you to just um, educate our listeners on particularly this idea of metagenetics or wave genetics and era three where we're moving to. Sure. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Larry Dossey, who came up with the notion of the three eras mm-hmm. and he called them era one, two, and three. And he said that his word for the third era, era three was non-local, mm-hmm. which is a, another just fine way of saying it. But basically he, he theorized that we, we, we started out in Western society, at least in era one where the, where the body was a, a kind of machine and when later on DNA was discovered or rediscovered, 
it was just assumed that it operated like a machine and that it just churned you out regardless of how you felt about it or thought about it. Mm. And then we began to realize that, oh my gosh, there's this mind-body connection and oh my gosh, the mind actually affects DNA and the way that we create our proteins and all of that. And that's, that's what epigenetics is. And that's the, that's uh, a, also an appreciation era two is an appreciation of the environment and its impact on our genetic expression and our health and well-being. But like you said, we're moving into era three now, which is, is non-local or metagenetics beyond genetics, beyond, beyond epigenetics. And it's the realm, it's really the realm of prayer, the, the realm of a lot of frequency medicine, the realm of non-local and shamanic healing, where it doesn't matter so much what you think about it. If you're experiencing the healing, it can still happen. Mm-hmm. And one of the funny things about that is that it can happen epigenetically, but not through your intention. It's as if you're you're piggybacking on a much greater intention, an intention that maybe is part of your higher self or of the collective consciousness, the newosphere, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But you're doing something in a higher dimension, a parallel dimension, something I, I like to talk about time space being our parallel dimension to space time here and that we're working over there. But you could see it as being a higher dimension, a higher density in the law of one perspective. It doesn't really matter how you conceptualize it or what word, words you give to it. The idea is that somewhere there is a blueprint and there are helpers in other realms that can, can change how our energy is flowing. And then as that change is made, it can flow through our DNA and create positive genetic changes that on the, from the outside might even look like it's happening epigenetically. Oh, you, you must be thinking positive thoughts or feeling, you know, positive emotions, or you put yourself in a better environment, but really no, none of those things is happening. You're just experiencing non-local healing from another realm. And that's where we are right now with this transition from era two to era three. The other thing I would like to say is that it's not, it's not as if these eras are mutually exclusive. There is a place, the time and place to treat the body as a body. Yes. There's a time and place to really focus on your, your mental state, your outlook, your attitude, your intentions, all of that. But beyond these things, there is a realm of call it magic where none of that even matters. Mm-hmm. And that's where miracles happen. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going from, say, we're going to talk about descending from the star seeds, right? From the Lumarians, from these higher density states. Part of our purpose is to come down here into these dense physical bodies and have the experience of having a body so that we can um, awaken within the the physical framework and experience heaven on earth through the physical dense form. Would you agree with I I would agree that that is the purpose of some, some people. Uh, I think, I think people come here from many different places and they also have people who are native to this place. Yeah. 
I think you have uh, people whose souls are relatively young who have been reincarnating on, if you want to go there, on Earth for a long time. But they, uh, I'm afraid that a lot of these people would probably end up being the people who are going out and getting these uh, experimental, quote unquote, jacksines and that kind of thing, because they're just not awake. They're not spiritually aware enough to know that they're making a very bad decision. But having said that, even people who come here like wanderers in the in the law of one way of looking at things, this is an example, we come here, if, if, if you're a wanderer, you show up here to try to help this, this benighted place. And sometimes you can get sucked into it and lose your way and you can make really bad decisions. So, you know, no judgment there. But I would say by and large, a, a lot of the people who are just wandering around as if they're completely brainwashed right now are native to earth and are not very old, spiritually speaking. Mm -hmm. To that point, what would you say, I, I'm playing uh, the devil's advocate here. Well, what about all the, the good people out there that are really trying to save humanity and they believe in good medicine and they believe that we can find uh, that a cure through this Jackson approach, and they're not all you know, nefarious creatures out there. There are good people that are working night and day to try and um, eradicate this quote-unquote um, virus. What what would you say? Where people are saying, "Well, it can't all be bad." You can't say that that they're just trying to wipe out humanity or dumb us down or implant us or whatever. What do you think about that? What would you say to someone who says, you know what, I, I just, I think I have to believe that there are good people out there that are working in these labs and, and believe that there, that there's a way to do this. That is, um, it, it's, it's a, it's an integrous, um, approach to life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course I do. That's there are so many different aspects to this. One could just talk about this for hours and write books on it, and people have. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would, I would, uh, I would advise readers to go get uh, Don Lester and David Parker's book, "What Really Makes You Ill," mm -hmm. and to get Tom Cowan and Sally Fallon Morrill's book, "The Contagion Myth." Read them both. And weep. <laughs> Having said that, the structure of our society is has an enormous amount of what's been called vertical integration in it. And it means that things are compartmentalized tremendously so that people don't always know what the real agendas are that are coming down to them. They're just doing a job. Mm -hmm. And they're operating within frameworks that they may absolutely believe in. And they may be very honorable people doing things that are ultimately very harmful. And that's what we're seeing. Got it. And they don't even know it. We have been so incredibly brainwashed to believe in germ theory, which is after nearly two centuries is still a theory. The idea that germs cause illness, it's never been proven. Right. Well, isn't it true they haven't even broken down the whole genetic sequence of the Corona? Is that correct? They've never isolated it properly. 
they, they, Rockefeller basically took over control of allopathic medicine when he hijacked Pasteur's work. And Pasteur was a plagiarist and a fraud. Mm. And Rockefeller used him as his point man to insert germ theory as the primary theory in medicine. I believe this entire scandemic was in the works 150 plus years ago. They saw this. And there's, there's a reason why they could see so far into the future that we could get into if you want to. Yeah. Um, but they used germ theory as this amazing brainwashing technique to turn us against our own bodies, against nature, against the power of our immune systems, and ultimately against each other. Hmm. Why? Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Mm. Well... Let's see here. Um, well, if you'll, if you would permit me to read a few paragraphs, I can, sh I can sum that up. I would love it. Okay. So I'm talking about, and this is back to my new book, Callie the Destroyer. And so please forgive me, but the novel's primary subject is the single most censored story in the history of the human race. That story is the Gnostic telling of the true nature and origins of the earth and humanity. According to scholar John Lamb Lash, this narrative was the real reason for the holy wars and inquisitions against goddess-worshipping peoples everywhere that resulted in a genocide count of billions of souls over the centuries. More importantly, the story is the real reason genocide, the Jackson-assisted kind, is still in full swing today with Operation Warped Speed. The story is a rabbit hole full of rabbit holes, and it points the finger directly at the source of evil as we experience it, the proverbial puppet masters ma manipulating the strings of religions, monarchies, governments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to coordinate a multi-generational inhuman agenda to subjugate and eventually destroy humanity. So we've called these people the deep state, the cabal, the new world order, the Illuminati, but to the ancient Gnostics, whose teachings were so threatening to the Catholic Church, and presumably true for that reason, they were systematically destroyed until they were effectively erased from the collective memory. The ultimate powers that be behind these terrestrial tyrants have a specific name, archons. Some scholars have suggested that this term refers to humanity's worldly enemies, our so-called leaders, but Lash leaves little room for doubt that by archons, the Gnostics meant an extraterrestrial race of virtually immortal thought parasites who over the centuries have controlled our leaders, their terrestrial proxies through a form of mind control operating through reality simulation. The ultimate target of the archons is not so much humanity as the earth itself, which by any logical interpretation of the Gnostic writings is a divine being called an aeon known as Sophia and not a typical planet at all. We're literally talking about Mother Earth, the fallen goddess, demonized by Catholicism in fallen women from Eve to Mary Magdalene out of a twisted desire to separate the brainwashed masses from their power source in the divine feminine. And in the way between the archons and their revenge on the earth, who is actually their mother as well. That is just one tall glass of water, Saul. Yeah, that's what this book is about. It's, it's, uh, I said that, you know, I, I said that my contribution to all of this is to take this 
Lash's amazing exposition of the fallen goddess scenario and turned it into a, an entertaining novel. So I, it's also, you know, the, the greatest, the most important story never told because it's been literally wiped out through a multi-century genocide of uh, Earth-based people. Right. Who, who connected with the goddess in many ways. The druids, the, the, the so-called witches, the shamanic peoples everywhere, all over the globe. And so something, some kind of mind has coordinated this in a trans-historical way, and they're still coming after us. Mm. Now, having said that, in the same writings, the Gnostic writings, Sophia speaks to the Lord Archon, who is blind and supremely arrogant and ultimately not that powerful except for his ability to trick us into believing his version of reality. And she tells him that there will, before, at the consummation of your works, she says, there will come into this realm a luminous child who will reveal their entire deficiency of truth and ultimately destroy your house of cards in so many words. Mm-hmm. Where do you think we are in that cycle? Do you think that that... I think we're on top of it. I think it's going right. to happen in our lifetime. I, 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 I believe that at the very least. Yeah, I, I do as well, because I'm getting so much feedback from all around me that people are having spontaneous uh, healings, people are having spiritual awakenings, people are simply but profoundly becoming curious of things that they were never curious about before, because it's just the, the Mother Earth is supporting the awakening, and you're living on the planet, and, you know, you're either going to go down that path, or you're going to shut yourself down with whatever it is you're putting in your body or what you're watching on TV or who you're communicating with. And you're just going to keep stuffing it and stuffing it till your light just becomes nothing but darkness. And by the mm. way, to circle it back to my son's science experiment, the lowest uh, number, the lowest, the worst result he got was not the color red, which was pretty darn low, but complete darkness, complete darkness. So the more mm. we do to cover up our light, which is our nature, by our actions, by our thoughts, by all of it, the more we become separated. And those that are separated will get the results of that experience of separation. But those that are curious enough I think the door doesn't even have to be wide open. I think as long as there's a crack, the light will go through and it can hit them just in that right place where they want to open the door a little bit more and open the door a little bit more. Like this podcast I'm doing. Part of my purpose of doing this podcast is to help people become more um, informed uh, on what is possible for them and what is available to them right now on this planet, in this incarnation. And if they don't like it, great, move on. But if they're curious about it, they can start discovering more for themselves and take the journey. So I'm with you. I'm hoping. Amen. Amen. I was going to add to what you said uh, by pointing out that John Lash for years has been saying that Sophia, the, the planet, 
is waking up. Yeah. According to him, she has been in a trauma, sort of a state of shock and in a kind of sleeping state since she became the planet. Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons we're experiencing this, this awakening, this great awakening at the moment is because she herself is waking up. Right. Well, you mentioned uh, in your background, um, and I, I'm a, a bit familiar with the law of one, but I think it's worth mentioning is that um, right now, I feel like we're in that place where we are coming into alignment with many of the principles of the law of one, where it's not that we're living um, for ourselves, right? The egoic way that's becoming less and less supported on this planet for the self and the self alone at the detriment of others, by the way. Right. But that we are uh, slowly, but surely moving into that collective place of loving thy neighbor as thyself and, and waking up and, um, and, and, and even to that, to circle it even back to your metagenetics era three, you, you say that we're in this place where we recognize that energy um, it's lang- our, our DNA is language based and love is a language. Love is a frequency. Love is, is, is a light. Love is, has potency. L- love is measurable. So, and peace, actually, I, I'm not sure who did this work. Someone studied the frequencies of different states and surprisingly enough, I can't remember her name, but she found that the highest state, it might, have been, it might have been Candace Pert, but don't quote me on that. The highest state was peace, just like Jesus, one of the great avitudes of history, right? He didn't say- Was this David Hawkins' work? I, you know what? I can't, I'm not sure. It might be. It, it might sounds be like that. David Hawkins. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, well, even when Jesus said to his people, he said, he didn't say love be still. He said peace be still. And peace has been measured as the highest frequency, just above love, love being the second highest frequency, which I think is really fascinating. And hmm. we can either come into this place of greater oneness, like the law of one, <laughs> or we can go against each other and we can pit one person against the other or one belief against the other. And not come into our most uh, original state, which is this high consciousness, where we can heal ourselves spontaneously, where we can manifest even spontaneously. I'm not saying I'm there yet, but I'm saying it's possible. That's my belief, at least. Oh, me too. And I, I've seen too many absolute just miracles, even through the work that, that I do, uh, to know that it's very possible. What miracles um, have you seen with your potentiation work? Can you share some? Well, I would invite people to go to, to phoenixregenetics.org and look at our testimonials for starters, because there's just pages and pages of just a, extraordinary s- stories of people uh, healing from uh, all, all kinds of conditions, fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and all kinds of things. And sometimes it's sometimes it's very dramatic. I remember there was a, a, a an actual facilitator of this work who had done potentiation and she had ter- terrible food allergies and she, she, the, the allergies was, were still there five months into the process at which point, 
in time, she was eligible to do the second activation, which is called articulation. And so she, she did that activation and the very next day, all of her food allergies were gone. Wow. That's awesome. And there's a reason for that. The potentiation sort of focuses on the, on the physical, but articulation moves into the mental and she had distortions in her mental body that she acknowledged that went away and her thoughts changed. And as soon as that happened, her body changed with it. Mm. Wow. Can you talk about those different activations? So people are familiar with these levels of uh, transformation that is possible for them. Sure. There are, there are four primary activations in the, in the Regenetics method. They go through a progression, starting with the physical, moving to the mental, then to the emotional, and then to the spiritual level. And the, the activations have uh, different names. The first one's potentiation. The second, like I said, is articulation. The third is elucidation. And the fourth is transcension. There's a specific timeline in which you can experience these. If you start from day one and go and stay on the timeline going through the entire process takes about 27 months, but keep in mind, all you're really doing is receiving four activations. Each one takes 30 minutes, except for transition, which is a 45 minute activation. And after that, you just live your life. Now we have recommendations for setting your goals and intentions. And if you want to stay more consciously connected to the process, we have recommendations for how to go about doing that, but there's nothing that you do beyond receiving those, those non-local to use the era three language activations. And that helps reset your energy field, which begins to change physical outcomes. Uh, and I say, what I mean by that is outcomes in the physical realm and in, in where we are here in this space. Mm-hmm. Each activation, I mean, well, starting with potentiation, they're, there that's a nine month activation right and so each one is like a birth cycle a gestation cycle that's what i was and there's so much that happens over the course of that you move up and down through your energy fields we have detailed schematics uh, and timelines so that you can track where you are in your energy fields and you can see which elements in play which organ systems which emotions which uh, mental issues, if you have any, that kind of thing, which, uh, which microorganisms, it's a fascinating uh, schematic for understanding the energy body. And incredibly detailed. And to your uh, talking about the schematics, I think it's really, really important to mention how you have, everybody has a different schematic. And depending on what your particular schematic is, you will have say, different sensitivities to, say, experimental drugs or Mm -hmm. (laughs) environmental stimuli or have a predisposition to certain dis-ease states. And and finding out my particular schematic really brought light to so much of my, um, you know, health issues that I had to go through and heal because it lined up exactly with the schematic um, information that you present in your, in your work. And I think that's, it's really just beyond anything you'll ever find in a Western medical journal. That's true. Well, that's really fire. Uh-huh. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you had that experience. <laughs> Nothing like a callback. Um, just a couple more questions here. 
why, why do we need both sound and light? Yeah, that is a, that is a really good question. Um, I write about sound being about transformation where light is information. Okay. And DNA itself gives off frequencies of light and sound and takes them in and transforms them. So DNA, that's how DNA functions. And language itself is a combination of sound and light. If you think about light being a thought or an idea or a concept, language is that put into sound. Right. So it's very obvious to me that you would have to use both to achieve very serious results. Right. And to me, it, it's quantum physics, right? Yes, it's also, it's also re religion. I mean, you, in the beginning was the word. That's right. You no, know? I mean, you have the Big Bang, which is simultaneously producing sound and light, mm -hmm. or almost simultaneously. Almost in all religions and even in, in, in science, sound comes before light. Right. Sound gives rise to light. In the beginning was the word. And there's a there's an act of speech. And then and then we can receive its meaning. Right. Right. And we should add that what you're doing, uh, which we haven't even touched upon, is that we are healing the fragmentary body. This very, in my opinion, shamanistic approach where a shaman will go out there in the field and uh, find these disintegrated parts of the self or the soul or the our different bodies and bring them back kind of a gestalting uh, and bring them back in and let them be what they are which is ultimately unified resource or or um, energy and light right all the soul retrieval work i i I would say that, that that is not the same as sealing the fragmentary body. I've never met anyone who had soul retrieval work who had, through that work, actually sealed the fragmentary body. That's a good point. Tell me more about that. What, what is that? Um, how is that different? Like, what is, how, how is your work by sealing, how does it seal, how does your work seal the fragmentary body? I personally think what shamans are doing when they do soul retrieval is they're going in and energetically massaging out distortions in the energy field. Okay. And that's can be extreme. That can be extremely helpful and life-changing for many people, but it's not the same as restructuring the energy field, which is what regenetics does. Okay. By restructuring the field, you basically delete the fragmentary body which is this energy drain, this very disrupted field that you could visualize, let's say, as your second chakra, the sex chakra. Right. And it's connected to creation and procreation. So it's connected to the, to the reproductive system and to the mouth and oral system. Okay. Yes, and you talk about that second chakra, how if it's not aligned or it's not in place or it's what blown out, I guess we could say, then the energy is not going to flow. We're going to have issues with the um, integration of these energies, particularly spiritual energy, like in Kundalini psychosis. Yes. I mean, when you get into like 
Kundalini blowouts. Uh, right. You know, that's that's a classic case of. Uh, I always compared it to people are old enough to remember this this crazy biker named Evil Knievel. He tried to jump over Snake River Canyon, and and he had to get up at speed so fast to do that. Right. And I think that when you're trying to overcome the fragmentary body with Kundalini energy, and you and you you still have this canyon in your lower energy fields, you have to create so much power behind that energy to get it over the canyon that it can literally just shoot up into your brain and fry you. Right. And, and I'm it, it, this does happen to people. Right. And I'm also just wondering, you know, I'm thinking of, cause I've uh, studied spiritual psychology and, and part of my training in spiritual psychology is we, we talked about Kundalini psychosis as an actual psychotic state that is probably, I'm, I don't quote me on this, but I think it may even be in the DSM. We don't use it in spiritual psychology because it's a more holistic approach, but um, that it may relate to an, a um, personality disruption like Erickson's stages of development, where if there was a trauma early on, there weren't particular stages of development that should have taken place in your um in your evolution. So when this energy comes in, the mind doesn't have the ability to stand the power of this illumination or this energy or this light or this download. And it just has a blowout. It has a, it ha has a breakdown. The, the computer, um, you know, blows. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. I, I, I'm sure there could be developmental, uh, you know, gaps or, or uh, problems that would make one more susceptible to this kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know if this relates at all, but this is just what I'm, um, what came to mind is when I was studying with a particular spiritual Indian teacher and, and uh, we were in, uh, we're, we were at his ashram uh, for about a month, some years ago, this was about probably 15 years ago. And during Shivratri, uh, we, uh, it's a very traditional drink to have bong, right? Which is a mixture of different herbs and uh, hallucinogenics, but it's a sacred drink like ayahuasca would be with mm -hmm. a shaman when it's done in a sacred manner, not to waste it just for like a high or a wild experience. It's a very sacred uh, ceremony. And to prepare for it, you do a lot of kriya so that you can have the uh, capacity to withstand whatever energy comes through when you you're making room for it. That's right. Mm. And it's like the sushumna goes from the size of a pinprick to the size yeah, of a blows up, up, right? Correct. And yeah. I always remember this guy who kind of was a, um, an outlier. He, he was a visitor. He came in with his girlfriend and they just wanted to kind of like make it a party. And they had some of the bong and had the worst experience perhaps of their life. <laughs> they were hell, absolute hell. And I watched it before my very eyes. And by the way, I'm not saying that my experience with bong was easy. It was challenging because, you know, you're going into altered states. But I had the capacity, I believe, to withhold and, ex and that uh, retain whatever was being downloaded so that I didn't blow out like 
this guy did who didn't do anything to prepare his energy or his energy body or field for that information. So, yeah, that's fascinating. I would say that really good guides with things like ayahuasca or, you know, Iboga are shamans who are capable of holding space for you non-locally. It's a very era three thing they're doing. So even if you are not a spiritual adept and most people who are seeking healing are not, they, they are able to utilize the mind of their guide, Mm -hmm. the spirit of their guide to make it through the process so that they can receive benefits and not blow themselves out. Yeah. So do you have a particular meditation that you do or do you just live present as best you can and in your joy as best you can and call that your moving meditation? Or do you have a particular practice you do that keeps you online and on the grid, if you will, or off the grid? Yeah, I paint. Oh, okay. That's right. I, I, I go very, I go very into, well, into a very different space when I'm painting. So that's, that's uh, one way I do it. When I'm writing fiction is, is another place, but painting is even better because it's even more right brain. Yeah. Do you think we're moving into a place where we're, we're utilizing the right brain more in this era three time? Absolutely. Although I don't think we're moving into the right brain. You know, I hear people talk about it that way and I, yeah, me too. I really disagree. I think, I think we're learning how to integrate the right and the left brain. Right. Much, you know, much more fully. I mean, we always go back and forth, but I think the, the integration is, is the big deal. Mm. Yeah. I've always been fascinated by the corpus callosum, this bundle of, bundle of joy that, <clears throat> that connects the two hemispheres. Yes. And I've heard it said that if you, when you step into your light body, and I don't know if this is true, I really don't, although some of my testing suggests that it might be, that if and when that happens, if you become that luminous child or you activate your light, light body, you the rainbow body, that the corpus callosum goes away. It just melts. I don't know if that's true. And then you have a completely fused left and right hemisphere. Wow, that is beyond... I have to come. Now, I don't know if that's true. I really don't know if that's true, but I, I, some of the testing that I've done, the kinesiology and some of my own deep dives and my intuitive experiences have suggested that maybe that's exactly what happens when you go into fourth density and you literally become a kind of ascended being uh, able to perform miracles. Mm. Well, we know that you can die and go into your rainbow or uh, light body. And we just, I'm just thinking of Rinpoche's where they're devotees. Um, there's a very famous story of, um, I think it was from like the eighties or maybe the early nineties. I can't remember the Rinpoche's name, but it's documented how his devotees, when he passed, he was so evolved that he, they saw rainbows all over in the sky above his body when he passed. And, um, and they heard the sound of singing in the air. Yes, I've, I've heard that story. And I've also heard, heard that there are many documented cases that are quite similar with even more bizarre types of 
bodily transformations and then appearances uh, to family members by the deceased person in a rainbow body. Oh, beautiful. Whew, I'd like I'd like that to happen. With- well, it reminds, reminds me a lot about the story of, of uh, Jesus in the garden after after the uh, third day and all of that. Um, I, I have mixed feelings about that whole narrative, but but it's a great story. Hmm. Well, I mean, if you believe it to be so, he went into Nervi Kulp Samadhi, came back, went back into his body, and he's not even buried where people think he's buried. He's he's in uh, Kashmir, in uh, hmm. a tomb where it says, here lies the tomb of Isanath. Yes. <laughs> so, I believe, if I'm correct, he lived to the ripe old age of 125. And... Uh, just, There's just so many stories and so many people. There's also the whole idea that he went to Portugal and, and with Mary Magdalene. So I just don't know what to believe with any I of that. Heard that one. That's a, that's a new yeah, one. Yeah. That's a, that's one that's been kind of making the rounds lately. And <laughs> really? I, don't, I don't have any idea if that's true. I mean, certainly it would, you know, anybody could slap a name on a gravestone or something like that. So there's no real way of knowing it, you know, anything for, with certainty. Right. Well, I think back to your experience, I might argue there is some way if you have a transcendental or a spiritual download, maybe that you yeah, can't maybe. Explain. Although even though even a spiritual guide might appear to you in different forms. I mean, I think about in shamanism how your your um, your spirit animals, uh, your your spirit animal, I should say, can appear in all kinds of different forms and sometimes as a person. Right. So, you know, it's not always clear who you're dealing with when you go into those realms. And discernment is certainly really, really important. And having a pure heart is really important when you start doing this kind of work. Right. Going off-roading is not always so much fun. You think, That's true. It's true. You think it's a straight shot, but it's uh, a far cry from the uh, heavenly pearly gates that you're seeking. <laughs> so. It's true. I like off-roading. That's a, that's a good term. <laughs> yeah. As long as you, you know how to navigate those roads, right? Pure heart, clear intention, and it's all good. Yeah, and even, and even then, you know, it can be very rocky. Yeah. So, I could ask you a million and then some questions, but I think we'll leave it here so our listeners can digest part one <laughs> of the Soul <laughs> Luckman anthology. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with me and explain some of these concepts and your insight into all this and much more to awaken the people truly, because that's, that's what we need. So I'm grateful. And thanks for, thanks for uh, really divulging um, your wisdom. Well, such as it is, but you're most welcome, and I really enjoy myself. You're you're a great podcaster, and I hope your your show continues to grow. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform, or go to Spiritual Geek Out. 